Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our series in Deuteronomy, and this one's called Loving God. The question for you to start off with today is, how do you hear God? Enjoy. I was preparing this week uh, at my kitchen table, reading a little Hebrew commentary on Deuteronomy, as one does. And my five-year-old comes up to me and, you know, wants to know what dad's doing in this weird giant book with, you know, another language in it. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm reading a Hebrew commentary, son, on Deuteronomy. And he giggles. (laughs) Sounds like Deuteronomy. (laughs) And I've just been laughing about that all week. And I feel like if you leave here with anything, May it be Deuteronomy, and may your hearts be opened to the work of the Lord in your life. I'm so glad that I can share that with you. So we're in Deuteronomy because really it's a book about maturity, that we're a community that needs healing, that we want to be a part of transformation, but the real work eventually becomes maturity. It's in maturity where you're doing some reconstruction. It's in maturity where you now offer healing to other people and you offer transformation in other people's lives. That sometime we can spend so much time in healing and transformation that we actually become selfish. That we're a community that is deconstructing and we need to do that and we always wanna create space for that. But we also wanna become a community that reconstructs. I remember a few years back, I get a phone call from someone like at 11 o'clock at night and they're like, uh, I can't go to the airport because I've really been working on my boundaries and the person who's supposed to get in tonight, their flight's, flight's late. And so I've been working on getting enough sleep. So to honor my boundaries, will you go pick them up? I'm like, how am I part of your boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that we get there sometimes. When we're deconstructing, we can become so self-obsessed about what we have going on that we don't reconstruct the reality that there's other people on planet Earth. I know. (laughs) And so as we're in the book of Deuteronomy, we need to ask some bigger questions. Something that we do well at New Abbey is we declare the reality of good news that God loves you exactly where you're at. And a lot of times we've heard stuff like that, but there's also been like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, caveats to that reality. God loves you if, God loves you but, God loves you when, God loves you, but I ought to be doing more or I'm not doing enough. But what we say here is, no, 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 God loves you. God loves you. But something that we probably need to grow in in a community like ours is how do we learn to love God? How do we learn to enter into this covenant in a different way as we expand, as we grow, as we think about this more inclusive, beautiful story of God? What's our part in how we become lovers of God in a new way? And it's something that we need to spend a little bit more time on. So that's what we're going to be doing in the book of Deuteronomy today. So we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about the Shema. We're going to talk about that time was at the beach with Rob Bell and his Prius. Uh, We're going to talk about the struggle. We're going to talk about holy other And then if we can do that, then we're going to talk about one. And then we're going to talk about love God. Love God or love God. And then we're going to talk about some love languages. So follow along with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all of her decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Again, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. They are on one side of the Jordan River about to transition and cross into the promised land. This is a narrative about the human journey that we oftentimes live in the wilderness where we learn our most difficult lessons, but where we grow the most. And it's in the wilderness that prepares us for new promised lands. It's called metaphor, people, right? And the Bible is, is just rich with this reality that the human journey is always this back and forth. In the Jesus story, we see there is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no promised land without wilderness. And that you go through these processes so that you can learn something new, that you can be healed, that you can be transformed, but you enter into the promised land with a little maturity. You're grown up a little bit more. You're ready for a new season of life and to handle it in a different way. And this is what Moses is preparing the people of God for. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And now the Shema. These verses that you see here is called the Shema. Shema say Shema with me. Shema. That's just the word for hear. It's that you would hear. That so much in the Hebrew Bible is about gaining your senses. That you would touch something that you would taste something, that you would see something, that you would hear it, right? That it's not just going in your ears, but that it seeps into your very bones, into your DNA, that you've heard it so well that it travels with you wherever you go. And that every good Jew, even to this day, they repeat the Shema. As you may notice when you read this, Jesus, a good Jew, repeated the Shema when asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is a central verse and tenet to all of Judeo-Christian faith. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In 2012, I was in a Prius going down to PCH with Rob Bell, and a bragger. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'll always remember the moment because uh, it's kind of the, when my friendship began with Rob, and I told him about this moment two years later as we're having tacos. And I remember telling him this moment that that whole time that I was driving down the PCH, I, I was still at my other church. I had all these things going on. I was stressed out of my mind. I'm, I'm here sitting in, in front of one of these people who I have looked up to my, my whole life, right? And I'm like, he's going to give me all of the answers for the world. And then two years later, I would started New Abbey. Um, I, I was kind of like into a new transitional season in my life. And I'm having tacos with Rob. And I said, the entire time that we were driving down the PCH, I never saw the ocean. And I always remember looking back on that moment, that I was so consumed with me and my deconstruction and everything that was going on, I missed the ocean. That's a hard thing to miss. 
And still to this day, a litmus test that I have for my life is when I go to the ocean, I sit there until I see it. And so this week I had a meeting in San Diego and I got there early as I always do if I know I'm gonna be near the ocean. And I get off the train and I walk down to the beach and I sat there for 20 minutes until I saw the ocean. And it was 20 minutes of prayer and meditation and thinking through, but my tax return didn't come back in yet. And like these things are going on and this is going on with New Abbey and oh my gosh. And oh, did we sign up for that thing for the kids carnival yet? And life. And then not only did I see the ocean in that moment, but I had this moment where I just kind of started to cry because I heard the ocean. I mean, the ocean is powerful and it's consistent. And I felt the wind on my face. And, and I, I'm reminded that so often in life that I'm there, but I'm not there. And this is what God is reminding the people of God in this moment. Hear, really hear what I'm saying to you. Remember where you have come from. Remember what I have done. Before you get into each day, this is why you start with the Shema. Would you really hear the ocean? Would you really hear God in your life? Would you really experience the power of those waves as they wash over you? Would you sense the coolness of an ocean breeze? Would you feel the sun on your face? Would you be alive, is what God is saying, here. And then it's not just that, it's here, O Israel. It's reminding you of what your story is. That the story of Israel, the name Israel means the struggle. It means wrestling with. How many of us, that is not what we were taught about our faith. Your faith was certainty and knowing it all and figuring it out. But that's not even the name of Israel. The very story of God is a story of struggling and a story of wrestling, a story of never having it all figured out. And that's the magic. That's the good stuff. That's called faith not certitude. And so God is reminding the people, right? Hear and remember the struggle that you've been through. Never forget, O Israel, the fact that you were once in Egypt, that you once had oppressors, that you once had slave owners, that you once had bondage that prevented you from being free, but you are not there anymore. You are on the cusp of the promised land. You are staring over the Jordan River. Never forget where you came from because if you forget where you came from, you too will become the oppressor. That money, that little extra paycheck that you want will be the thing that will distract you the most in life. And we all have layers. I think about this all the time. The thing that prevents us from hearing is the endless layers that we carry. I'm gonna ruin my hair here. That we have layer upon, please feel free to take all these pictures. Layer <laughs> upon us. And I'm a big believer that this is honestly what life feels like sometimes. We're walking around just covered. It's the layer of our broken families. It's the layers that no one's ever seen us because of our race. It's the layer that they told me that I wasn't even human because of who I love. It's the layer that they said that being a woman meant that I could only talk to children in church. It's the layer of when I was a six-year-old boy and I was molested by a family member. It's the layer of shame that I've carried. It might be your addiction. It might be your background. Sometimes it's the layer that you've never been celebrated. And I look stupid 
But truly, how many of us walk around with these layers and we feel blind in life? And we truly don't feel seen. And it's almost impossible for us to love God because it's really hard for us to hear that we've ever been loved ourselves. And I just want to honor the fact that we all have layers and that we all carry lots of stuff. And God says, still here. Hear, O Israel, what you got going on. And I hear you, and I see you, and I know you. And that's why God always begins with God's love first. It's not about you having to figure out God. As we say in here all of the time, Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. Jesus came to change our minds about God. That God is always the initiator of this love to see you exactly where you're at, even if all of those layers are overwhelming and you feel like you can't be seen or heard. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder that God is holy. Most of us grew up in this world where when we heard holy, we were told this means something about purity. That there's this God that's so pure, that's so perfect, could never look at sinners, things like that. The word holy means other. Experience, come with me in this little story. Parents out there, has your three-year-old ever had a tantrum? Some amens. A holy, pure God is, thou shall not tantrum in front of me. You have had sex or something that this God cannot see, right? And other God is this. You're a three-year-old having a tantrum. I'm an adult who has skills, emotional intelligence, time, support, and I can let you tantrum because I'm other and separate from what you're going through. I have a bigger perspective on this moment than the fact that somebody took your fucking teddy bear. (laughs) Yeah. Insert your adult tantrum here. And God has time and perspective and space to say, yeah, you're going through a tantrum and it's okay. And it's not even a joke. You're going through a tantrum because you've got a lot of layers and you got a lot of stuff going on. And I'm so holy, I'm other than that. It's a very different God all of a sudden now, isn't it? That's the purest word for holy in Hebrew is other. Not a pure God who's angry with you. So here, really here, I know your struggles and the kind of God I am can handle tantrums. This is already so much bigger than what most of us were given to work with. The Lord is one. This is a declaration of unity. That there is just one God, and even as Colossians would say, that this God is seeking to reconcile all things. I always laugh when people are so scared that God might be endlessly inclusive or universal or want to reconcile all things. You want people to go to hell? In your version of this thing? You want people to suffer? What if this God is so other that this God knows that you have layers that may never be reconciled on this side of things? Isn't that a much more gracious God? Isn't that much more true to the biblical narrative of what we see? Isn't that much more declarative of what we see in the life of Jesus? A God who is so holy that can handle a lifetime of tantrums and still see you for you who you really are? And that this God can handle all 7.6 billion of our tantrums? 
and pain and layers. Now that's a holy God. And even the early church declared themselves Catholic, which simply means universal. So for all the people who are scared of that out there, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. Why? Because Christianity was at its best not when it had a purity of ideology. Christianity is always at its best when it practices being others in practice. When we become so healed and so transformed and so matured that wherever we go, we're not colonizers. We're people who can clearly see the beauty of the diversity of what's going on here. Early Christianity did that really well. It wouldn't come into new civilizations and let people know how badly they're going to hell because they were different. It would take on the best of those cultures and say, this is how it fits in with this bigger story of God. That's so much more beautiful than a story of, of purity and ideology and we gotta figure it all out because we think that God is somehow terrified up there, wherever there is, and how we describe that story. The story gets so much bigger. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Love is an incredibly important word in all of this. How do we learn to love? In all of the other Torah, remember Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You are never asked to love God in those first four books. It's all about reverence. It's like the Bible evolves and grows, which it does. It doesn't stay stagnant, just like you don't stay stagnant. And this is the first time in the Torah that you are asked to love God. Every other time it's about reverence. And reverence is not like, I better not move. This God only likes when I stand like this or do this when I worship or whatever the weird things that we do, right? Reverence is about awe. It's about mystery. It's about that this thing is so much bigger than you. Love is, I can touch this thing. I can experience this thing. I can see this, work with it, be known by it, know it. Now that's way more interesting of what you're being invited into into love. And love in Hebrew is always action-oriented. The problem with English is that when we say love, you can love your car, your cat, your spouse. I love in and out right? But love in Hebrew is only action-oriented. And that's why in the first part, the action-oriented of this God is, I loved you so much, I took you out of Egypt. I loved you so much, I suffered with you on the cross as a reminder that suffering is a part of the human journey and I will always go into your suffering first and take you out on the other side into a new resurrection, into a new life, into a new promised land. You see how these stories go together. That's the kind of action-oriented love that God has. And then we're invited into love in the same way. The rabbis had a story and they would look in the scriptures and they would say there's two motives for loving God. There's fear and there's love. But even the rabbis 2,500 years ago in their writings would say, but the more powerful motive to love God, to care for God is always love. Because love is a more deliberate choice that actually lasts. And so we're not invited just to live in fear. And by the way, the word fear is also a word for awe and mystery. We're invited into relationship to love God in this way. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, which is another way of saying with all of your intentions, and in the Hebrew, the word for intentions means your good and bad intentions. How many of us needed that when we were in high school? The, the Bible in the Hebrew is already letting you know you have both. And this God sees you in both of your intentions. 
And even in your unfigured out messy life, you can still love God with that. That is so much more complicated than we've made it in Western Christianity. Where it's like, I can only give God some of these things and not some of these things. And like, we just pretend like God like covers God's eyes. I don't see it. I don't see that sin. No. This God sees all and welcomes all of your intentions. Soul is your entire life. And I love the word for might, that in the Hebrew, the word for might is most closely associated with your physical possessions or your physical power. And even 3,000 years ago, when the Shema is being offered, it's this reality that sometimes it's our physical possessions and the power that we carry, right? Throughout history, men have often been bigger than women, the power that they carry, right? It's that power, any type of power, and that kind of privilege can be the very thing that gets in the way of you loving God. It's another type of layer that your power prevents you at time. Sometimes in a room like this, you've got too much power of too many ideas that have left you just paralysis by analysis. And sometimes it leaves us selfish and unable to love God because we've got so much power that we're one of the few people on planet earth in all of history that's even had the luxury of thinking about all of these thoughts and ideas. But don't let it prevent us from living real life, from seeing and hearing and experiencing the actual ocean. And so then it moves us into practice. And I love all of the language here. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children, right? Which is, think about the idea of impressing something on your kid. It's so a part of your life that it's now going to be a part of their life. Anybody have any jacked up family members here? You can all, anyone have any jacked up family members here? I knew there was more. Was that impressed upon you? Yeah. One of the biggest things I had to go through through therapy is if this is the way that I've been wounded by my mother, it's because this is how she was wounded by her mother and my grandmother was wounded by her father. I can track that. That was impressed upon me. I have to go do some work now of loving myself so that I don't pass on the favor of impressing this upon my children. But what we can impress is our healing and our transformation and our maturity onto our children. And we don't do that individually. This is a corporate prayer. What I'm so grateful for of New Abbey is all of these little kids will be impressed upon by you in your bigger, more inclusive story of this radical love of God. That's what they will know about. There will not be a kid in our community who has to come out. Can you imagine that? Can you really imagine that? There will be kids here who will be celebrated for being Pacific Islanders. There will never be a little girl here who gets to say, I never got to go on stage because I'm a woman. There will be white men like myself who will reclaim, I'm not just a colonizer. I'm transformed and I'm healed and I have a part in this world too. This is what we get to impress into this world, a radically different view of what humanity can be. Come on. That's what God invites us into. Thank you for the one clapping back. <laughs> this sermon is sponsored by Nickelodeon and SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> All royalties and rights will go into my personal bank account. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, right? When you lie down, I'm going to do it. 
when you get up? Again, the scriptures are physical, right? Because those are all the motions that you experience in a day. You sit, you lie, you move, you get up. That's what you do. The point is, in everything, it's all sacred. There's not sacred and secular. It's just all sacred. It's just already all of God's. You don't need to come to a temple to worship and love this God. The whole thing's already a temple. You need to come to a temple to worship God. You are the temples of God. Because in everything that you do, God is already there. In your good intentions and on your bad intentions and all of the ways that you impress things upon the world, you can learn to love God and to mature in it. What a bigger, more radical story. And then the piece of it, and this is common in Judaism still, right, uh, is that tie these symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, put them on your door frames and your houses and your gates. It's like saying, put all these physical reminders around you just in case you forget by doing things like moving that you're God's and that you love God. Then put like a symbol on you that reminds you of that. Anyone have purity rings? Oh God, I had so many. Anyone ever make out with that special someone and take the purity ring off? I'm the only one. I'm the only, I'm sorry, I'm the only one who ever made out in high school here, but I definitely did that. I was like, God, my hands are burning. God, you don't see this right now. All of that is completely true. But sometimes we thought that way about that because we were so scared of a purity God who was so angry and mad at us. Instead of these physical reminders being, yeah, you're 17. You're not the first horny 17-year-old boy there ever was. <laughs> and I'm with you in all of your intentions and in the healing and the transformation and the maturity of who you are as a human being. Doesn't, sound, doesn't that sound like a holy God now? As a parent who has some perspective, who's not scared of the real things that you go through, but who's like, yeah, and all the reminders and all that you have and all of your life, I'm there with you. And so I'm going to close with this story. Uh, I thought about it when you all were sharing. I was in Hawaii uh, maybe like five years ago, and I had my rental car as you do. You know you sign the waiver, you're not supposed to take the rental car off the off-road stuff when you're in Hawaii? Anyone ever done that? Of course I went off-road with that thing. <laughs> and we're driving in some back roads that you're not supposed to be on, and we get to this um, like little hut where this, this woman is selling these, these baked goods. And she's like, you know, you're not supposed to have your rental cars back here. I'm like, I know. Um, and she just starts, we start talk to her for like an hour. And it's just this really beautiful conversation. And she tells me what, what, what a holly means, right? Uh, the holly is what you call white people in Hawaii. But she told me what, what it, holly, howly. I'm a howly, that's why I don't know. Um, but howly, the ha comes from breath. It's the, it's the breath that you have in you, right? And that when white people would come, they would call them howlies because what would happen is that Hawaiians would, would greet one another and they would rub each other's like noses on each other and get really close and you would share the divine breath from one another. You would truly acknowledge that this other person is so human, right? That you would even be sharing in the divine with them. You'd even be sharing in their love of God. You would physically be doing that together, right? You would remember who this God is in this moment. You're so seeing yourself and somebody else truly alive that you're acknowledging them as close as you can possibly get. It's beautiful. But when the white people came, that they would greet one another from a distance and that their divine breath was separate from each other. 
And the reality is that sometimes the layers of power and privilege get in the way from our closeness of experiencing each other and experiencing God. And what Deuteronomy will constantly invite us back into is that closeness, into hearing and seeing the ocean once again. That this thing is not far from you, but it's always with you. Would you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? We're going to get back into groups and ask these questions with one another. What's one practical step that you can take this week to show love to God? That's an easy one. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.